Today, our scripture reading is in Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from, our, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Well, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open with me there to Psalm 78 as we give our attention there before we begin our time in Psalm 78. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And in your word, we find who you are. We find a record of your great deeds. And we find that your great deeds are in line with the greatness of your power to save today. Lord, we also thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace at work in our lives, in our households, and in our congregation, our county, and in your world. God, we pray that today you would encourage us, that you would equip us by your word to both place our faith, our hope, our trust in this great grace and power of our God to both create and to redeem, but also, Lord, that you would tutor us, that you would, you would teach us and compel us to make this great testimony known, not to hide, but to make known your great deeds to the next generation. I pray that you would do that even this morning, your spirit would equip us and teach us the greatness of our God. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, here we are in Psalm 78 in an incredible psalm, a lengthy psalm. I encourage you to read through the whole thing. You will be challenged and you'll be equipped. But this morning, before we look at our passage in Psalm 78, I'm actually going to take us back to Deuteronomy, a passage that may be familiar to some of you, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to turn over there, you may, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Keep your bookmark there in Psalm 78, but Deuteronomy 6 goes like this. Hear, O Israel, this is the Shema, the the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This passage is the instruction that stands behind our text in Psalm 78. Deuteronomy uses the language of the home, right? This idea of lying down and rising up. This takes place within a household. 
So before we move to 78, it would be helpful to ask at least two questions. I'll begin with the first one. What are children? All right, if you want to know, just look around for a few minutes. There's a collection of them in this room. And now we are really glad you're here, particularly here on this first Sunday of the month in which so many of our CP kids do join us in the service. We're really glad you're here. You are in instruction and challenge to all of the rest. And yet I hope that children, you will listen in on the instruction this morning as well. This is for you too. What are children? In 2 Timothy, Lois and Eunice were the grandmother and mother of Timothy, to whom the letter was written by the Apostle Paul. It was from them that he had learned the faith. But in that same chapter, we see Paul calling Timothy, my beloved child. And yet he wasn't the the husband of either Eunice or Lois. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul calls Timothy, to whom which the, the letter was written, my true child in the faith. So our text, Psalm 78, uses both the language of passing on from parents to children, as well as from generation to generation. You hear that, right? There is a place for parents to teach children. And the the instruction, the command to you who are parents here is explicit and clear. But there is also an instruction from one generation to teach children. The next, it would be wise and good, let me suggest, to pray this morning, to make a request in prayer that is ongoing, that God would give you a true son and a beloved daughter in the faith. Make that request before the Lord. Who are children? Children are our children. Children are the next generation to whom we make known the great power and works and wonders and deeds of our God. Which leads to a second question. If it's not just biological mothers and fathers, but also one generation teaching the next generation, can a home be reproduced elsewhere? Please stay with me for a second. Can a home be reproduced elsewhere and be basically the same thing? So we can kind of just toss out the idea of home. Is home just a metaphor? Is the place of rising and walking and lying down and in Deuteronomy, is it redefinable? Let's be clear. The home is not just a metaphor. The home, under the care of a father and a mother, is the design of God for the instruction of a child. Now, I know that particularly today, that is a strong and perhaps difficult sentence to hear. And there is more to be said. But it's also good to remember God's creation design. To remember God's creation design and to celebrate that this design is uniquely normative for humanity. We thank God for his good creation design, even as we live in a world that's broken, right? There is a a way that is designed, and then there's the way that we live, and the places we live, and the ways that we grow up, and the households that we are in. And we long, Lord, you who know such a good design also know the greatness of redemption, right? And we groan for his redemption to be made known in our broken homes, everyone. So 
the home under the care of a father and a mother is God's design for the instruction of a child. But God has also designed assistance to the home. These assistance, in these things we see a hint of God's care for the fatherless and the widow. God's adoptive love to bring the homeless into his house. In Psalm 68, just a few psalms before our psalm this morning, it says in verse 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. His holy habitation. So God has designed assistance to the home, and these assistants are necessary. And they're necessary in both homes who are whole and in God-designed Christian witness of a father and a mother, and these assistants are needed in homes in which the witness is broken or in deficient in some way. And let me tell you, the witness is deficient in my own home. Make no mistake. And my home needs the assistance of others to preach the gospel in that place and to those children. Think of the impact of Christian friends. Think of the impact of a youth leader or a mentor for a child, even in a Christian home. The home is assisted in coffee shops. The home is assisted on basketball courts and in Bible studies. Then think of Timothy's home. Where was the witness of Timothy's father? We're told about Eunice. We're told about Lois. We're told about Paul. But where was Timothy's father? It would seem that Timothy's home needed assistance, a spiritual father in the faith. I myself am from one of these broken homes. My parents divorced when I was around the age of 12, and it brought disaster in my mind, in my emotions, in my home for years. And many of those effects remain to this day. But Dan Sigler, Dan Sigler, my brother's youth pastor, I can hardly say his name without those emotions welling up. He called just about a year after that divorce. And he reached out, and during the course of three years, we spent a great deal of time together. And friends, that's not honest enough. I spent almost every waking moment in Dan's car and traveling around with him and ministering to even other youth from a variety of different homes under his discipling care. Dan was not my home. Dan was not my father. But... I am Dan's true spiritual son in the faith. This is God's grace from generation to generation. Do you long for that? Man, I want to be Dan when I grow up. Do you? Homes and parents are specifically defined and designed by God, but God has called many of you, I would say all of you, of all of your ages, all the way down to the children, all of you, to become someone's spiritual guardian. Now, consider Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, it says, We must not hide the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, but tell them to the next generation that they would put their trust in God and not forget. What is our hope? That they would put their trust in God and not forget, as we are so inclined to do. We get at the heart of the purpose of this wise psalmist as as a whole congregation, as mothers and fathers who are here, are you not? As spiritual guardians in the faith. 
and I know you who are here. From one generation to the next, we need to ask at least four questions of Psalm 78. And so I hope that as we prayerfully listen and seriously, intently lean forward to discover how to make the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord known to a next generation. This is our business in Psalm 78 this morning. Let's go to our first question. We can't skip it. Is God worth talking about? I mean, if he's not, what's all this business of making him known to the next generation? Seems like a foolhardy endeavor. Aren't there other things to talk about? Psalm 78 is one of the longer psalms. You can kind of flip through and see it very quickly. It is one of the longer psalms, and it walks through the many wonders that the Lord has done. It recounts the plagues. It's not ashamed. It looks back and sees the hard things of redemption. It looks at the plagues and the power of God on display before Pharaoh. The water turning to blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock pestilence, the boils, the hail, the darkness, and the death of the firstborn. He recounts the power of God in rescue and in judgment upon Egypt. The psalmist tells of the God's great parting of the Red Sea. Perhaps you're familiar of this. Not only do you see the waters pile up, but the people of God walk on dry ground. And when the armies of Egypt attempt to cross, they're crushed crushed under the weight of the crashing waters upon them. So that which is redemption for those who place their faith in him, those who pursue in rebellion are crushed under the weight of that rebellion. And God leads them in the wilderness. You might remember it before a pillar of cloud and a pillar of Fire, these great praiseworthy deeds of our God. And then in the wilderness, the Israelites begin to become afraid. They complain. God silences the complaint by sending manna and quail by which they were fed in the wilderness. And then the end of the psalm, God puts down the rebellious kingship of Saul and sets up a king of his own choosing. King David becomes a dynasty out of which would come the Messiah. These are just some of the praiseworthy deeds of our God. Elsewhere in Scripture, God uses the faithful obedience of Daniel, just by way of example, to display his power and glory. The the kings of Judah and Israel show themselves to be unfaithful, but God shows himself to be their conqueror. And he shows himself to their... uh, God shows himself to be both their judge and redeemer, And and then he shows himself to their conqueror, King Nebuchadnezzar. God reveals his wonders such that even that far-off pagan King Nebuchadnezzar confesses that God is the one true God. These are the wonders of God in not only Israel, but in the earth. And the greatest of all the wonders of our God is the incarnation, life, and death of Jesus according to prophecy, according to humility, and according to provision. And Jesus is vindicated, and he raises triumphant in the resurrection, and all the redeemed find their hope in him. These are the praiseworthy deeds of our God. Is he praiseworthy? Is he worth talking about? Well, when you set out to begin a new Bible reading plan, and I know many of you have tried that before, and maybe some of you are thinking about starting that again, I would call you to this. Don't read a chapter a day and then merely ask, 
what can I get out of this passage? Friends, if you do that, you are going to get bogged down definitely by the time you get to Leviticus. All right? Don't do it. Open up the word. Start right there at the beginning. Go ahead and hop right into Genesis. And add this additional motivation. Lord, today, as I open up the word and I read this chapter, teach me your story. Not how to live my life. You'll figure that out in the light of the glory of the Lord. But rather, what are your praiseworthy deeds? Give me attention to remember and to know the account of your praiseworthy deeds so that I can recount them to the next generation. I believe your deeds are in here. Make them known to me. I can give personal testimony to that very thing. I've read the Bible my entire life. As a little kid, my my parents would use a typewriter, a typewriter, all right, and pound out Bible reading plans for me, and I would put check marks by each of the chapters. I'd served, I've served for 25 years in ministry, and I've read the Bible through and through, but it wasn't until 15 years ago that I re- realized how very little of actual redemption history, the actual account of the praiseworthy deeds of our God, I actually knew. And something tells me you're very similar to me. And so I opened up the scripture, and I began with a renewed purpose. I actually studied the scriptures like a textbook. I I read quickly, I skimmed, and I highlighted, and I took notes, because I wanted to know the outline of the story. I knew I couldn't memorize the whole thing, though others have. And I just started at the beginning, and I wanted to know the outline well enough that I I could recount the praiseworthy deeds of our God, even at a campfire at least the outline of those deeds, I would suggest to you it's not too late to embark on the adventure of knowing the praiseworthy deeds of our God. If you don't know them well enough to recount by a campfire in the darkness, go back. Let's learn the outline again. We know from the scriptures that God has done great things, but we also ask, what has the Lord done in our lifetime? Where have we seen the surety of his promises played out from his word in the midst of our gatherings, in the midst of our scatterings? Where have we seen the presence and power of the Holy Spirit? God has taught me that in both his power and his compassion, he will provide for my family. He's taught me this over the years. One of the first Christmases after my parents divorced, my mother found it very difficult to provide very much by way of Christmas presents in our home, as is often in the case in a broken situation like that. And the the gifts under the Christmas tree had always been a really important part of Christmas for not even the kids as much as my mom. And that was really important to her. And just days before Christmas, I I happened to be in the living room and I heard a knock at the door. I looked through the peephole in in the front door and I could see all over my front porch red and white and green colors scattered around in the form of Christmas presents. I opened the door and I I looked on each of those presents and I saw that each one was marked out to various members of my family, my mom, myself, my older brother. But it was the from column that reminds me to this day of something so powerful. And that from column on every single package, it said, from Jesus. Now, Jesus ain't Santa. Let's be really clear. 
He doesn't come down any Christmas trees and he doesn't visit front porches and simply scatter gifts around a front porch. So I looked up about a quarter mile down Edison. There was this dude and he was running. He was running. It was Dan Sigler making his way down Edison, running away. And God had used that faithful father again in this child's life to see that the Lord's deeds are praiseworthy. He is a good provider. Those gifts were from Jesus. I knew what was behind Dan's deeds, the praiseworthy deeds of our God. It's a lesson that has repeatedly worked its way out in our home to this day. As a previous generation invested in my generation, that provision has worked its way out in our home. I know God will provide for my family. He always has. God shows his power and his wonders. And you can believe that he's powerful, but you only show his, he is praiseworthy if you regularly declare his praiseworthy deeds to the next generation. We know he's worthy. We know he's worth talking about. But let's ask the second question. How do we hide the testimony? We know he's worthy, but how is it that we still manage to hide? Psalm 78, verse 4, look at it. It suggests that it is quite possible to hide the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord from the next generation. Well, how do we hide his deeds? First of all, we don't remember them to begin with. Psalm 78, verse 11, it says, They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Then, just a little while later, in 78, verse 42, they did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from their foe. Could you tell the story that the psalmist tells? Again, going back to that campfire, one of the children in the church says, tell me about the praiseworthy deeds of our God. Could you tell the story? I've always been convicted by watching that young man, that young deacon, his name was Stephen. And he was being stoned on a particular day, murdered, killed, in Acts chapter 7. And there, under all of that pressure, all of that pressure, he managed to recount the great deeds of our God by memory. And he declared them even to those who were killing him. Peter, his very first sermon at Pentecost, recounted the story of redemption in Christ. And thousands were added to their number that day. They knew the story. Can you recount the story? Or have you forgotten? Do you know what the Lord has done for you? Second, we don't live. Psalm 78, verses 18 and 19, look at it. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. So they're making known their desires. They're making known how they think they can live. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Let me ask you this. Are you content? Does your lack of a contented life show the next generation that God is not good and God is not enough? Do you live like you have forgotten what the Lord has done? Maybe you can recount the deeds, 
but your life lives as if the deeds of the Lord are insufficient. They are not enough. In verse 32 of Psalm 78, it says, In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. Every time we sin, we show the next generation that we treasure sinful pleasure more than we treasure Christ. Our sin is a testimony. We delight in the momentary pleasures of sin more than we delight in the law of the Lord. And so how do we hide the testimony? Well, we live. We do not live in light of the testimony, but in the light of a craving for lesser things. Third, we do not believe. Psalm 78, verse 22. Because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. And that's so important. The word believe and the word trust are in that same sentence together because they are the same idea. What do you hope in? What do you trust? Do you trust in a new job? Do you hope in a bigger house or perhaps a return to health? Maybe you hope in a balanced budget. And so you labor for these things in hope, as if you could, oh, if you only had that, then you would be pleased. Then life would be good. Then you could be satisfied as though a job, as though wealth, as though your health was the great wonder and deed. Does the next generation see you hoping in these things? Or do, does the next generation see you dependent upon Christ, your King, as your only deliverer? The Lord is our hope. One of the most um, precious memories for me was uh, being at a, a pool party, and, and there's this one kid, and, and he was crazy. He was always moving, always running, junior high age, and, and he just kept you know, running in the pool and being a bit, a bit too much, right? And the, the pastor of the church was sitting beside the pool on that day, and, and he had Oakley's. For a pastor to have Oakley's, that's a big deal. Like, that's a precious possession right there, sitting right next to the pastor. And that kid, in all of his rambunctiousness, ran along, steps on the Oakley's, and drives in the pool. And everybody saw it. And they're like, <gasps> stepped on the pastor's Oakley's. What's he going to do? And to declare the powerful, trustworthy deeds of our God, he simply says, those are things. That's just stuff. And kept playing. Because that pastor's trust was not in Oakley's. It wasn't in the things of this world. It wasn't in earthly things. His hope was in and is in Christ. Does the next generation see you watching carefully the wonders of God and his word and then depending upon them? The next generation will believe as they see us go to the word meditate and read that the wonders of God would produce faith and belief. Would pro- Maybe we rage when the Oakleys get broken and we read the word and we turn in confession and our next generation see us confess. I raged because a lesser thing was broken, but I always had Christ. I'm so sorry. And the Bible doesn't remain on the shelf. The Bible doesn't remain on a coffee table. What we have discovered there remains in a life of dependent transformation. So we know the deeds of the Lord are praiseworthy. We know that we do not want them to be hidden. 
But, third question, how do we tell them? I know I don't want to hide, but what do I do? How do I, how do I tell this? First, we tell what we have heard and known. We tell what we have heard and known. There's something that we should already know up to this point in reflection. You cannot make known the trustworthy deeds of the Lord if you have not known them as trustworthy. If you have not just sought them as deeds to recount, but trusted in them and found them worthy and faithful. Psalm 78 verse 3 says this, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We must first find Jesus wonderful to declare his wonders. Do you? Do you find Jesus wonderful? If you don't, find him wonderful. Any sharing of stories of redemption are simply deeds of a deity but not the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, your Redeemer. If you find that the Lord is not simply, simply just not wonderful to you, this is a matter this morning to com- be committed immediately to prayer. All of your testimony will be to no effect if you do not first find him wonderful, trustworthy and good. This morning, I call you to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know the greatest deeds of the Lord Jesus to give his life in your place on the cross for your sin and to know the life that you have risen in the resurrected Lord, kept for you in the eternal heavenly places. Wonder at this and place your faith in the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. This is wonderful. And you today confess him, trust him, Find him wonderful and make his wonders known. Make his wonders known whom you have found wonderful. Psalm 78, verses 35 and 36, they says, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. They knew better. They knew that he was the rock. They were those who had said that they trusted in him, but then they flattered him with their words and their worship. The next generation will see our hypocrisy, and it will be abhorrent to them. I remember in high school sitting with a youth group in church, and I would look over the congregation sometimes, and we sang wonderful songs. Oh, we sang songs like those awesome hymns of the faith, like holy, 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 right? Like, how great thou art, and one of my favorites, a mighty fortress is our God. And the people of the congregation looked like they were little more than alive. I looked around. Many had sung those songs for so long with utterly no expression. It looked like they could sing in in their sleep if they weren't doing it right there in front of all the youth group watching them sing. And you wonder why the next generation doesn't like hymns. Perhaps. They've seen so many sing them for so long without even cracking a smile or shedding a tear at the wonder that they find there. And then you look at praise music and choruses. 
Sometimes I wonder why contemporary Christian music just doesn't sound very, you know, contemporary. Perhaps the children have seen a whole generation singing and clapping hands, but they don't see any difference in their lives. You see, it doesn't matter the tone or the genre of our song. What matters is whether or not we find the Lord wonderful. Hypocrisy will be a part of every generation. It's, just, it's not that we just haven't found the right genre or gone back to an old, old genre. A problem is hypocrisy. We are sinners. We are saved by grace. There will be times that you in celebration service on a Sunday morning, and you're here, and the only truthful statement that you say the whole time that we are gathered is during the prayer of confession. But that's the cure, isn't it? Isn't that the cure for your hypocrisy? It's no hypocrite that confesses that he is a hypocrite. It's why that prayer of confession is sitting there waiting for us, saying, the Lord is great, and it's true. I just don't act like it, and right now I don't really care. And so, I have something to pray about. The next generation must see us declaring his glory and rejoicing in his commands, even as we confess our rebellion, because our hope is not in our obedience. We do not declare the praiseworthy deeds of our generation. We declare the praiseworthy deeds of our God in his grace. I've said it a thousand times. The great praiseworthy deed that we have yet to bear witness to in nearly any generation is grace. And the greatest way to bear witness to grace is not to live the perfect generation, but to openly repent. Because in open repentance, we declare that our God is great and he is good. Second, how do we tell? We tell more than stories. The praiseworthy deeds of our God are way more than stories. I remember as a young child going to my father after hearing the story of Noah and the ark again on Sunday morning. And I told him that I thought I could tell these stories better than the Sunday school teacher. I was kind of arrogant and it's an issue. I'd heard them so many times by people who taught them, but they taught them over and over again like they were, you know, stories. If we were just telling stories to the next generation, we might as well watch a Pixar cartoon on Sunday morning. The world tells stories better than than anyone here does. We ought to just watch a movie, but we don't tell stories. We preach the gospel. We don't just tell, we preach. We hold up, we enjoy, and we exclaim. The Lord is the righteous judge of the whole earth, and the judgment of the flood is real. Do the children know it? They need to feel it. They need to hear a people who have trusted in the reality of the judgment of our God. But the Lord is also a gracious redeemer. A remnant is saved as they were hidden in the ark. You see, our hope is in the face of God's righteous judgment on our sin that we would be hidden in Christ as we pass through the storm by grace. We don't just tell a story. We preach the gospel. We have to remember that what we utter when we speak of the praiseworthy deeds of our God are oracles, oracles. God's word, the story of creation and redemption from God's own perspective. 
So when we open up the word, we can say, thus saith the Lord. We remember that we utter parables. The history of redemption is revelatory. And in the story, we see the chosen one, Jesus Christ, revealed to us. And we are bearers of the greatest story ever told, the gospel story. So we have to open up our mouths. And we have to open up lives that have trusted in his great deeds. The Lord is worthy. We must not hide the testimony. We've considered how we might share him, but fourth, what will our children look like? What will the next generation look like? What is our hope? Psalm 78 verse 7 in two parts so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. So that they might set their hope in God and not forget his works. We don't tell the story just because our parents told us. Our purpose is to use the story to point them to the Savior. We found the Lord in the revelation of these stories, and they must find the Lord in the revelation of these stories. And the second half of that verse says, but keep his commandments. Some parents use God like a tool. They use church, Sunday school. They use the Bible just to get kids to behave. You know, in the Bible it says you shouldn't lie. And you, no wonder children wind up growing up fearful of their God and knowing nothing of his grace. This is one of the most damning things that a, a parent or a church, or a whole people can do to a next generation? Is that what you want? Good kids with no knowledge of eternity with a Savior? But at least they're good. At least they don't cause you trouble. At least they're out of your hair. We share the story not to get good kids, but to get kids that know their God. And knowing their God, they know that his way is good. And they walk in that way, the way of his commandments, the way that is revealed to them because he's good. Our desire is that the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord would become a testimony to the children not yet born and to their children. We're bearing a testimony to those who are far off today. We are a stubborn and rebellious generation. It's true. And we are members of a stubborn and rebellious race. This humanity shaking our fist at God, saying, on my own, I can live. Have another way revealed in Christ. And every generation has to remember again. And so every generation must be told. We must not hide the testimony. We can't hide the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, but tell them to the next generation that they would put their trust in God and not forget. This is the pattern of Psalm 78. Can we with honesty say that God is wonderful to you? I want everyone here to ask that question. Can you with integrity say that the Lord is wonderful to you? Maybe he's not wonderful to you because he is not your savior. You need to trust in the wonderful deeds of our God, first of all, for forgiveness of your sin. 
and know the invasive force of a new righteousness of Christ that would clothe you with his grace and righteousness. Or maybe you need to remember by making some commitments, some commitments to study, even meeting with others to get to know the story. Maybe you just don't remember the great and praiseworthy deeds of our God. Does your life look like you're content in God? Does he look like he is powerful enough to warrant your faith, your faithfulness? Maybe you need to stop hiding God by the way that you live and perhaps reveal your God by your repentance, open repentance. If others have seen you walk in rebellion against God or in anger or fits of rage, perhaps they also need to hear you say, I see it, I know it, and our God is better than this way. Perhaps the children around you need to see you in a posture of confession and faith. One of the greatest testimonies that we have to bear is a visible dependence on grace, a Savior. And do you know that the Lord is praiseworthy, powerful, and wonderful? Do you know what the Lord has done to save you? We need to open our mouths and speak. We need to open our lives and begin to live. Friends, very practically, we're going to go to a moment in prayer. I hope that you will, perhaps even with Psalm 78 in front of you, that you would recount just a praiseworthy deed or two and give him praise in prayer. But that you would also pray, Lord, would you make me a father, a mother, spiritual father, a mother in the faith? Who might I see? I see it sometimes. I see some of you who are older among us, and you walk along, and you see someone who is younger, and they know that you're, you know that they know that you're silly and old and tell dad jokes. And that's okay. Would you lean in? Would you know them? Would you ask how you can pray? Very practically, very realistically, make a fool of yourself because Christ is no fool. He's worthy of your affection for the next generation. Let's pray over these things. Heavenly Father, Your deeds are powerful and you are worthy. Your deeds are recounted right here. In Psalm 78 and throughout the whole of the scriptures, you've been tested again and again, even provoked. We don't remember. We often forget. And you are patient to remind. Lord, would you redeem, save, keep, bless, and bear a testimony to the children, and to those who are far off. And Lord, would you do that through us? We like the way of the Father. We love your way. We like the way of the, the, our elder brother, Jesus Christ, who had drawn near to us. We like that way, and we kind of want to walk in that way because it's good. Lord, show us how to walk as the Father has walked. Show us how to walk as Christ has walked. Show us what it is to be filled with your Spirit as we walk as we lie down and rise up in the variety of places you have sent us to go. Thank you, Lord. May the children trust in you, and may they not forget. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.